I've been thinking there are so many films out there and we're only doing two a week like chumps. Yeah. I thought we could do a speed round, just shite or sound. Okay. First, Serenity, the Firefly film. Sound. Yeah. At a certain point in time, that was my favorite movie. L. Sandifer has pointed out, um, who's an amazing blogger, says that Joss Whedon is one of those people who was so lucky. Um, His specific fetish and success happened at the precise moment where that was the right expression of feminism. Yeah. So it is like his specific thing about characters that turn into Buffy or River or Fred or um, all of the dolls. (laughs) But yeah, Serenity Sound, Batman Begins. I remember enjoying that. Yeah. Sound. Fun spectacle, sound. V for Vendetta. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like that as well. Sound. Yeah, it's more sound than shite. Brokeback Mountain. Oh, I've, I've never seen it. Oh, it, it, no, it's I, sound. I've been meaning to like go through like all, all of Ang Lee's films. But... Yeah. There was a lot of bullshit around it that was like, oh, these two straight actors playing gay men, they're so brave. But none of that is in the film. Right. The film is just, yeah. It, is it perfect? No, but sound. Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Okay, so I think I, I would like that more if I hadn't seen it so many times as a child. There's like one of the movies that they played a lot of my like after-school care place. <laughs> that and like Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's like I've, I've seen that movie probably like 30 times and yep. so I don't like it anymore. But it's probably good because those guys make good movies. Yeah, I love that film. That film is my, like, I'm a film shithead answer to favorite horror film. <laughs> it's good. Sound. The Squid and the Whale. Uh, haven't seen it. Oh, have you seen Marriage Story? I have. Then you've seen Squid and the Whale. <laughs> I, I like Marriage Story a lot. Yeah, so Sam. Good night and good luck. Uh, haven't seen it. I've been meaning to because uh, because I know Ray Wise is in it. Yeah, and I love Ray Wise. You appreciate it more than you enjoy it. Mm. But if that's what George Clooney is pulling his punches to do, like sound, you know, no, mm. it won't change your life. David Strathairn is great. The Descent. Love that movie. Yeah, right. Sound. Ah, <laughs> oh, God, there yeah. are some very good troglodytes in that one. I remember watching that film when I was. Uh, it was about a year old. <laughs> so I would be... Uh, probably, oh, you think you were a year old? <laughs> yeah, I was a year old. I'm 10. <laughs> Watching that film alone in my family home. So it would have been maybe 2006, 2007. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I'm an adult. I'm I'm 19 to <laughs> hyphen 21. And that film just freaking me out yeah, watching no, it in that, the middle of the night. That, that so sound. fucking terrifying. The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I have a lot of affection for, uh, for like, all of the bullshit movies that Robert Rodriguez like made in his basement on a green screen. In Shadboy and Lava Girl, he literally wrote with his kid yeah. while they were playing in the swimming pool. Yeah. The like first three Spy Kids movies and Shadboy and Lava Girl came out at the exact right time and were the exact sort of like weird that I love them as a kid. So you would say sound. I would say sound. I would say shy and sound because I love it despite itself a lot more. Have you noticed the trend that runs across all of these films? Uh, no, I haven't yet, but yeah. I'm sure you'll tell me. These are all films that came out in the year 2005 <laughs> that are better by a wide margin yep. than the film Crash, which won the best picture and best screenplay yeah. Oscars. The, 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 the people whose jobs it is to make movies, yeah. all of them Everyone. saw Crash... I mean, they unanimously agreed this is the best. this is the best thing any of us have seen this year. This is the best response to racism ever made. Because I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what movie didn't win uh, Best Picture. Imitation of Life? No. Didn't win. Ali, Fairies for Soul? Didn't win. Didn't win. <laughs> Any movie ever made by a black person did not win Best Picture. And so looking at Crash, I was like, that is an interesting... Uh, it's not interesting. <laughs> 
If there's one thing Crash is, it is <laughs> not interesting. But I looked at it and I thought, okay, so this is a terrible response to racism. What's another film that's a, you know, questionable response to accusations of racism? And so, of course, D.W. Griffith's Intolerance. Mm. And so let's watch them together and see what happens. I predict that I will lose my mind. <laughs> so that's my intro for this week, then. <laughs> you hear that? You hear that foley? That foley? It's not actual foley. <laughs> It is Finnegan's Wake, <laughs> Finnegan's Wake, Nicholas, Tsar of Russia over here, uh, preparing his mighty scroll to read his introduction. Ooh. Check out the messenger <laughs> over here. Hope nothing happens. <laughs> what am I doing? Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. Oh, I've got uh, the wrong thing here. Here we go. You've really made a fool of yourself. Yeah. Like the cast of Crash, you have really revealed yourself to have no critical reading skills. <laughs> On this episode, we're watching number 95 on the side and sound list, Intolerance, Love Struggle Throughout the Ages. It's D.W. Griffith's three-and-a-half-hour silent sort of apology for accidentally restarting the KKK, or maybe it's not an apology. And our, our second film this week is Paul Haggis's Crash, the 2005 Oscar winner for Best Picture and the movie that finally put an end to centuries of American racism. <laughs> Imagine that Paul Haggis, a man named after, <laughs> a man named for a sickening deluge of guts <laughs> at the cost of an animal's life, would somehow make something more disgusting than Haggis. This, this is the second time I've seen Crash, and I hope, I hope never to see it again. I watch a lot of dumb movies. As, as I said a few episodes ago, I'm a big fan of Scott Adkins. I, I will watch any low-budget, hastily written martial arts film that he makes. But Crash might be the single dumbest film I've ever seen in my life. It is but minutes since like, the credits are frozen in front of us. We get to see the names of Nikki Cohen, who was the buyer. Yeah, um, James Barrows. Stacey Doran and Marcus Epps, who are the set dresses. It feels like we're doxing uh, them. <laughs> any of the people whose credits you can see on the yeah. screen, the, the special effects technicians, the, the lead men, yeah. uh, the on-set dresser, do you think any of these people did a good job? I, oh, I don't want to go after workers. <laughs> Fair. When it is... When, when little... there, there is one person that we can very clearly <laughs> lay the blame on. Yeah, one... <laughs> Stomach food of a director. So, Birth of a Nation. D.W. Griffith, Birth, Birth of a Nation. Yep, a movie that I have not seen and oh. do, do not really intend to see. Um, I have seen it yep. quite a while ago, and, and it was uh, good. It's like Intolerance. Yeah. In that it, if this is really the first time or the first widespread release use of some of these techniques, that's interesting. Yeah. How it reflects on the society of the day. And uh, obviously, Birth of a Nation, uh, for those of you playing at home who have not had the pressure of watching it, a love story in which uh, the KKK are the good guys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in like post-Civil War, like re re reconstruction in America, and it, it is about the, the birth of the KKK 
JK, like them as like heroes defending America from the like degeneracy of having to be okay with black people now. That's explicit. Yeah. Within and throughout the film, we're not, we are about to hit two films where subtext is non-existent. Yeah. And if, if you, if you want to know what Birth of a Nation is about, go on YouTube and find the scene where like the black senators are like eating chicken in the Senate. Which I'm pretty sure I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty that's that's a that's a scene of a movie, right? It's just like obviously racism is still all around us, and no one is without racism of some kind, uh, in, in their hearts. You know, we're two we're two people who've benefited a lot from white privilege. Absolutely. In fact, like podcasting about <laughs> the BFI list of films is one would say the peak of white privilege without any of uh, the actual benefits of it. I guess, um, but it is. Startling how blatant, and this is a hun- only a hundred years ago. And like again, a white person saying something that people of color have been saying for but it's startling how blatant the racism is in Birth of a Nation. Yeah, um, and which in some ways gives me hope to show how far we've come, but also in some ways uh, does not give me hope because but a generation or two generations there are people alive today who went to see birth of a nation admittedly as a child probably and I, who liked it i think I, I don't think there'll be that many people alive who saw birth of a nation as a child um but there will be someone yeah maybe so but birth of a nation comes out there's a bit of not as much as you'd think but there's a kerfuffle yeah. about uh it because every time it came out, um, uh, slavery had been over for oh, 40 years. Yeah. Oh, and ju- just to emphasize, so when we're saying, when, it, when the film is called Birth of a Nation and we talk about the start of the KKK, the film is making that precise equivalence. Yeah. Um, it's not, as I said, it's not subtext. And so D.W. Griffith, in some kind of versions of the cultural myth, was like, I understand, I'm sorry, I'm going to make a film called Intolerance. Um, and in other versions of the story is like, how dare you repress me and my ability to say that the birth of the KKK was the birth of this nation built on the blood and backs of slaves. Yeah. Um, I'm going to make a film about how... About how you're being mean to me. It's worth noting that in Intolerance, there are... Finn thought he saw one black person. It is... M- maybe. I'm, it, I'm not certain... It is. It might not even have been a black person. Like how white this film is. Yeah, it's a film that's telling, like, it's telling like, four different stories across yeah. thousands of years yeah. of like d- different forms of societal prejudice yeah. and how they've impacted uh, d- different cultures. And not a single one of these involves a black person. Um. Well, they die. <sighs> They can't because one is set in um, uh, Jerusalem, yeah, around the time of our Lord and savory Jeezy Crazy. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus Christus. Yeah, my, um, my 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 personal number one best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like who? Look, I'm a bit of an outcast, but I'm going to say it. I don't think Jesus was white, and uh, all the people around him who. In the real quote unquote version of the story, not white people. No. In the film, they're white. So some of the some of the characters aren't white, but yeah. even if the the cast is, one is set during uh, 
kind of post-revolutionary France around the... No, uh, no, it's, it's, this is, this is pre-revolutionary France. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the French Revolution was at the end of the 1700s, this is in the right. middle of the 1500s. Ah, uh, yeah, so... The, the story in France is uh, set, set around the sort of, like, the Protestant and Catholic religious wars, leading up to the expulsion of the Huguenots. Yeah, um, and most specifically, the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve, yeah. which I presume you learnt about, as all of our listeners learnt about, the same way I did, which is through... 1965's entirely lost Doctor Who adventure, The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. I presume that you, like me, have watched the unofficial loose canon reconstruction of it or three or four times and consider it as well as it's very interesting if different novelization um, a real peak of the Lucarotti style historical within Doctor Who, as well as like generally within that era. I presume that's also how you learned about the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Yes. Uh, great. I just love when William Hartnell plays the abbot of, <laughs> of Amboise. <laughs> Can you remember in detail anything that happens in the film Intolerance? Uh, like, I... How, how much detail? Well, because it's a film that kind of washes over you in some ways, yeah. right? It's not the longest film we've, we've watched so far. But it felt... The, uh, yes, yeah. yeah. This was about, like, five or ten minutes shorter than, than Yee Yee. Yeah, because we watched the version that isn't playing at the right frame rate, so it was, in fact, like, two hours 45, Yeah, right? so uh, there are some versions of this film that last about uh, three and a half hours, mm. and we, we did not watch that version. And my, yeah, my understanding is that we didn't actually really miss anything and mm. that it's a frame rate thing. Um, yeah. But I am sure that someone out there listening to us, just as someone who's very possibly said a wrong thing, on a podcast, yeah. I genuinely, in this case and no others, would like someone out there, if I'm wrong, to tweet me at, at Youth Lives, um, but in no other case. It washes over you. There are these four stories that kind of are uh, presented like in chunks, and then as the film draws to its denouement, um, it starts to intercut them more heavily and heavily. But yeah. I could not tell you the details of what actually happened. Okay, I, I, I think I can do sort of a, a broad strokes thing for, for most of them. Okay, so... So, starting with the, like, very earliest one, yep. which, is, uh, uh, which is set in ancient Babylon. Yeah. Uh, about, like, 2,500 years before Christ. Yeah, 539 BC. Oh, sorry, yes, 500 years before Christ. Yeah. Um, well, 539 years before Christ. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. It's not a gun, it's a 45. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it's uh, it, it's set in Babylon, and pe- people are just sort of Babylonian around. Yep. Just yeah, just ha- yeah. having have, have, having a grand old time wor- worshiping worshiping all the cool gods. Um, yeah, there's uh, Prince Belshazzar and yeah. Cyrus the Great of Persia. Yeah. That's they're, and, they're at war, and the the, the, the god they are worshiping is of course Bel Marduk. I thought it was Ishtar. Yeah, but that's a thing that comes in later. Oh, great. Yeah, it starts off with everyone worshiping Bel Marduk, and then for some reason people start worshiping Ishtar. It's not really that important. There is a young uh, Babylonian girl. Uh, she's she's from the mountains. Yep, that's right. She she's just hanging out in the city. Uh, just, just sort of minding her own business. Well, hey. she's brought into the city by a character who's referred to throughout as the Mountain Goats, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Which I was very excited to see John Darnell 50 years before his birth in a film being like, well, this is pretty good. Hope I'm yeah. going to make he, it he's, to he's, the next millennium if it kills he's me. A, he's got a song uh, about Marduk. Oh, I did not know. Yeah, well, um, it's 
It's it's about a T-shirt of the black metal band Marduk. Ah, uh, okay. But it, it still mentions Marduk. I, I'm I have to admit that I'm very much a fake geek girl when it comes to uh, the the mountain goats. I like the hits much more than I've engaged with the actual body of work. You know, it's Sunset Tree for me, or not right. much else. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say. And his novels, of course. Ooh, yeah. Read great, his fucking novels. Great novels. Love them a lot. <laughs> I hate, when I first got... Um, Wolf and White Van. Wolf and White Van. I was like, oh, cool, John Daniel's written a novel. I'll enjoy this. And then being like, reading it, and you just like, God damn you. Yeah. I wish... Here's but, my theory. People should be good at one thing. Hmm. Like, for instance, I am good at uh, recounting the plot <laughs> of the lost Doctor Who adventure, the massacre you, at St. You, you are excellent at that. <laughs> no. um, that's all I'm good at. I want John Daniel to be good at one thing, which is sounding sad near a guitar <laughs> in a way that makes me want to dance while crying. Not also writing novels that unpack ideas about simulation and emotional touch and emotional connection. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he, like his, his two books are, are the only books where I'm like, I want to make, I want to make movies of these books. I don't want them adapted as films. I want them yeah. adapted as tabletop games. Yeah. Um, that's just more a good idea than a punchline to take us out of this <laughs> bit. But that's mainly like, that is how you should end discussions of John Darnell, which is less. When I read Wolf and White Van, I was like, yeah, yeah I, I also want to play that game. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's about people playing a game. Uh, but let, so intolerance, intolerance, uh, throughout has, um, intertitles as is, as is uh, the silent film eras mm. want. Like, here, here's yeah. the thing that, like, mo- with like most film intertitles, yeah. is uh, they they use a multitude of different words, yeah, to to uh, to describe what's going on on the yeah. screen. But like with with, with intolerance, yeah. it it feels like that bedtime of Doctor Seuss like took a bit, but he could write a word, uh, he could write a book with only fifty words, yeah, and we uh, got green eggs in ham, yeah. But, but uh, D.W. Griffith also took that bit, and yeah. all 50 of the words were intolerance. Are you aware of experimental uh, playwright Carol Churchill? She wrote Top Girls. <laughs> Uh, for, for, for the purposes uh, of you explaining this, uh, no, oh, I'm not. Right. Okay, he's not going along with the key fabe of me reca- recounting an anecdote that I also <laughs> encountered, recounted in person. It's cool. Uh, knock on the walls. That's a very Carol Churchill thing no, I've, to do. I've, I've, ne- I've never heard of this yeah, person. No. Um, she, she's written a bunch of good plays that I recommend anyone. Uh, uh, but after her kind of her peak of writing these kind of experimental plays, she went further down that rabbit hole. And there, there's a play she's written about Blue Kettle, where the key thing to know is that the 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 action is all realistic but the dialogue becomes more and more abstract where people just say, start saying the words blue and kettle a lot and i think that's what happened to dw griffiths but with the word intolerance while writing these intertitles like maybe like every second intertitle has the word intolerant or intolerance in it and there are several that have it multiple times yeah, and he finds uh, new ways to use the word intolerance yeah. but like he 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 just he just kind of makes up new meanings for it, but are sort of connected. There's a group of people who he refers to. Uh, he refers to the um oh, who the French people that are driving out the Huguenots. The oh, they're the Catholics. Catholics, yeah. Yeah, calls the French Catholics um intolerant and the intolerant. So he then gets to use the trick of calling them the intolerants. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, very good. But there's a part where a man goes to prison, and like him, like first of all, prison itself is described as intolerant. And then as he's being led into the prison, 
It, it says he is being intolerated away for a term in prison. Yeah, um, which is my standard description of when people go to prison. Like, yep. do you watch Orange is the New Black? Oh, yeah, it's about all these intoleranced people. <laughs> it's a really, It's got a really interesting way of looking at the complex lives that can intolerate people from all sorts of intolerated races, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but the, and, and like there are a lot of spots, a lot of gaps, a lot of lacuna in my silent film watching. And so I don't know, there's an especially florid style, at least by my take, to the intertitles in Intolerance, which often make them hard to follow. But it's full of statements like, but like one, which I wrote down uh, during a battle scene, um, a man is killed. And the intertitle reads, The loom of fate weaves death for this man's father. And putting aside the fact that the loom of fate is genuinely the name of the MacGuffin in the film Wanted. Yeah, a film that we've talked about now on multiple episodes. <laughs> I mean, obviously. <laughs> Why else? What other films are there to talk about? <laughs> about from the works of Timur Bekmambetov and films de Timur. Um, so... <laughs> Imagine, okay, you have to go into hospital. Oh, no. Yeah. Why? Yeah, your wife had a fall. Oh, and a no, not my wife. I love her so much. And says, Finland Nicholas, I have terrible news about your wife. The what, 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 What's her name? Her name? Yeah, you your, got an, your yeah, wife's name? Yeah, you, you just give me a name. What, what's her name? Uh, oh, uh, Finland, D- Denmark. Her, her name is Finland Denmark? <laughs> yeah. You, you, you've got a tradition of you take first names when you get married. <laughs> um, sit down. Finland. The loom of fate weaves death for oh, Denmark. Oh, no. Oh, that's, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I, no. And it... It's a, that, and there's like a density and a purpleness to its prose yeah. that often makes it quite hard, quite hard to take seriously, even when the visuals, the spectacle and in intolerance is for its time top fucking nuts. For yeah. its time, this film is Avengers Endgame. Yeah, for both of us, uh, this is the sound sound movie that we've enjoyed the least so far, oh, uh, but by, by quite a long way. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but a key part of that is the fact that uh, it, it feels racist. Yeah. Um, even if there's very little in it beyond the obvious whitewashing of um, the Babylonian people and various other things and people in Jerusalem, it, it also feels... It feels racist. Mm. Like, you know, an elderly uncle. Like, he doesn't have to say it. Yeah. And to be clear, if you're listening, I'm not talking about my, either of my elderly uncles, both of whom are great. And (laughs) this sounds like I'm, I don't mean it, but I do. They're not racist. I love you, Pudgeon Mo. Putting aside the fact that we both had, like, serious problems with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. This, This thing looks, like, incredible at certain points. And there, there are like there are genuinely like brilliant scenes and sequences in it. They built a real siege tower for one. Just the shit they bought a job lot of fucking extras yeah. for this film because every shot has like a hundred people yeah. in it. They, they built like real siege towers to attack a real like walled yeah. city that they built, which they mention, which is also it's worth noting mentioned in the intertitles. Yeah, there's one point where they're like. Uh, and thence upon the ramparts, then underneath that is written, note, 
constructed to scale with horses able to ride on it. Yeah, like this movie like has has footnotes in the engine titles, which is uh, uh, very fun, and I like that. I like that choice a lot. You said which modern filmmaker would abuse this the most, and I'm just very glad that we don't live in the timeline where we have to find out the <laughs> the answer to that question. Because I think there are like, can you imagine a David Mamet film <laughs> or fucking Neil? Can you imagine the footnotes Neil LeBute would put in his intertitles? It would be like, ah, these bees, they sting my eyes. Note the bees. bees. (laughs) Note the bees represent the women because bees also die after killing you, (laughs) die after hurting you. Like I, I'm, I'm like I'm just kind of glad we don't have like versions of, of like uh, of like Inception and Interstellar where like <laughs> where Christopher Nolan's like okay and here is uh, uh, here is uh, some signs that my brother read once that explains why all of this is possible. I I alternate take on that pitch. I think the intertitles on Christopher Nolan films would just say bois, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually. Okay, I'm presuming we've not released the first episode yet. That will hopefully happen next week um, from our recording perspective. (laughs) And I presume that by the time we're at our seventh episode, we're going to be the biggest podcast uh, in the world. I'm I'm certainly hoping. 99% American Life Richard Simmons wrote a porno. That's us. Yeah. Um, Going to be called the... uh, The... the, Nope. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experiences yeah, no, two yeah, so, films yeah, in no, a row. I was also trying to think of a Joe Rogan experience. Joe and I had nothing. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, the uh, Adam Carolla shows his friends two films. <laughs> <laughs> um, let, let, let's not associate ourselves with Adam Carolla. Or Joseph Rogan. Oh, yeah. Adam Carolla's grosser. I would say equally gross. Yeah. To be clear, and that amount of gross, tray gross. Do you, 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 you're talking about in seven episodes time, we're going to be the biggest podcast uh, in the yeah. world. I do want someone in our audience to re-edit Inception and Interstellar, but as silent films, um, it's so black and white. You can do the, the really cool, nice thing that Intolerance does, which is it tints scenes, different colors. Yeah. It's a great aesthetic. It's always good to see. Um, and... Uh, but make Inception and Memento and Interstellar in that, but with the intertitles only being phonetic spellings <laughs> of Hans Zimmer's score. I just can someone out there please do that. Anyway, um, I presume one of our, tri- our billions of listeners. Yeah, billions. Yeah, we've got a we've got a proper percentile chunk of the international population. You know, after our second episode came out, we made a deal with Beijing. <laughs> yeah, now, they're we're, not we're, happy about you. We, we, we are now endorsed by the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, and uh, everyone in China has to listen to us. We, yeah, we just had to cut that bit we, when we talked about Long Day's Journey in Tonight, <laughs> um, and made it only praise Long Day's Journey in Tonight. Sound. Good movie. Good movie. No I, issues. Uh, that's the intertitles talked about. So you're talking about uh, Babylon AD? Yeah, I, I think I was about uh, five words into, into describing the, the Babylon section okay. of the film. I, my apologies. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah. I've got, I think you've got five more words in you. <laughs> So there's uh, yeah there's there's a young there's a young girl from a mountain she she's yeah. she's oh, a, with the mountain goat yes that's, that's, that's right like John Daniel that's when it let's all went talk wrong. about the <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she 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 uh, she's uh, she's in town with, with her brother and like uh, men just keep trying to touch her and uh, she's uh, not particularly happy about that yeah 
and uh, then she gets like taken to court for like yeah. being mean to a man who was like uh, street harassing her. Yeah, and uh, and, she, and she 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 is sentenced to, to be sold at the marriage markets. Yep, and we are obviously on her side. Yeah, this is one of several. Just you forget. Because the cultural idea of what silent movie acting looks like is so ridiculous and bad. Yeah. You forget what good silent movie acting looks like. And this is one of several performances, largely by women, which are like real good. And so this, but the film is presenting us this woman is like, oh, she can never be happy. She should, she should be okay with being a bit street harassed. She's a bit, the film thinks she's a bit hysterical. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, I, because like she she ends up being like the hero of this of the story, yeah. and like the thing that makes her the hero is that like she doesn't do what men tell her, and she she doesn't just like put up with it and then like accept the fact that like her role in the society is to just end up being someone's wife. Okay. So like uh, while she is at the marriage markets, uh, just ch- chowing down on a couple of spring onions. Oh yeah, <laughs> the uh, the the absolute best of the intertitles is. Um, really tis no time to be eating onions yeah and then cut to an amazing reaction shot of her defiantly eating spring onions which she just keeps in her belt yeah she's just got like a pocket full of spring onions and it is a moment of absolutely sublime physical comedy um which yeah was real great and Mm. just one it's just like oh that's what that's what it's all supposed to look like this makes and there are so many performances like that. Unfortunately, they're in a racist film. And so um, she, she, she's like standing up on like a block and they're trying to auction her off. And uh, <laughs> it, it, every time like a man comes to like trying to like inspect her, she starts like a shout at him and like, and so like, you're, you're all lice, you're all rats, yeah. you, you men are all garbage. Well, and and they're, like, they're, yeah. she keeps saying like, just don't touch me. And you're just like, oh, it, like, yeah, there is actually just something really good and just seeing a woman getting more, just like, just stop fucking touching me <laughs> in like 2020 it's just nice to see that and but she's also like she's doing it she's she pranks about a bit there's the sense of her as like a bit of a a wild thing is mm. she called the wild one uh no one of them is called the wild one oh, i think one. they just call her like the the mountain girl or the girl from yeah, the mountains that's right they all um we no no one in this movie has a name <laughs> everyone has like a title yeah. or a description and some are as simple as like there's a character who's the boy, yeah. Um, one who is, of course, I don't even need to say this. It's what you'd call anyone the musketeer. Yep. Um, uh, now this this musketeer, yeah. Uh, he does not appear in the part of the film, the part in France where there would be muskets. No, he's in the modern plot, the yeah. saddest plot where he, he must he never get has a musket. Tear. Yeah, and I, I don't know why they call him a musketeer. Because he must get a tear. Because <laughs> he's crying. Because it's sad. Because he's so sad about not having a musket. I mean, who isn't sad about not having a musket? Uh, we've talked about guns enough on this podcast already. Um, no, I, is there... I feel, well, luckily, there's no gun content in either of the films we watched <laughs> today. Sorry, 45 content. Um <laughs> Yeah. So um. Yeah. So so she she is taken. Uh, so yeah. So she she's telling all these men to to fuck off, and then um, the 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 like prince uh, just happens to be coming through, uh, coming through the town, and he's like, hey, it seems like you don't want to get married. Uh, here's like uh, here's like a bit of clay that says you don't have to get married. She like instantly like falls in love with the prince and wants to like uh, I don't know. I mean like. 
so here's the thing: like a bunch of stuff yeah. happens. Most of it doesn't matter that much. No, in, in, it washes in, over in, you. in any yeah. of these stories. Like I've, it, it would it would take literally forever to describe all the things that happen in this movie. Yeah. So I will I will just say very quickly. Eventually, there is a, a, there is an invasion. Uh, uh, By the Persians. Yeah, they're trying to take Babylon. The, the, the walls of Babylon have never fallen. They're trying to destroy it. The, the, this girl, she, she puts on uh, she, she puts on armor and like go, goes out to like uh, help the soldiers defend the town. She she does a great job. Uh, uh, eventually, one of the one of the priests uh, who is like jealous that his god is no longer being worshipped, yeah. uh, he uh, decides to make an alliance with the Persians and he lets them in for a side gate. And uh, then uh, uh, everyone in Babylon uh, gets killed. Yeah, there. But in that, and then there's like a solid hour of yeah. dope. I was surprised by how violent this film was. Yeah, it's pre-code. Like, the, the, I was surprised by how many how violent how many stabbings we saw, and how much areola was on display. Yeah, like especially in this era. Yeah, like of the the, 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 the stories told. Like yeah, like p- p- when people think about like like silent films. They they think everything is like oh it's it's all you know yeah. everything was like super conservative back then yeah it's a woman giving Charlie Chaplin a flower and he's in love with her yeah but like v- v- this film this film gets a bit nasty at certain points it gets nasty I I, I just I just made you for choke on his vape <laughs> oh god that's um, a lot of my life is choking <laughs> on my vape. Yeah, it's so bubblegum flavoured. Oh. That is, just to be clear, a, just a scream for help. The brand <laughs> name is Scream for Help. <laughs> Vape juice. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, so in, in, in this stuff in Babylon, there is like some like very surprising violence. And like yeah. th- th- there are scenes where like people get stabbed with spears and you see the spear like go into them yeah. and you see blood spurt out, which like you would never see in a movie made past like past like 1933. Yeah. There, there are lots of scenes where women are just wearing like see-through tops, or in some shots, like no tops at all. Yeah, these I think those scenes were made for. I don't know, entirely based on my looking at this film. I think those scenes because there's scenes of like uh, priest, they're they're like vestal virgins, priestesses to one of the gods to yeah. Ishtar, I believe. Yeah, they're just long, quite gross, exploitative scenes, which are just cameras pointing at naked or semi-naked women, right? Yeah. Um, and it's still kind of, and they're always there, at least in the version we watched, which is, um, I believe the version that's like generally available mm. now. Um, they are of a noticeable, noticeably, which has been restored brilliantly. It looks great. Yeah. They are a noticeably worse quality. So I think that these were either cut by a censor somewhere or were like, you know, like the sex scenes in Caligula were yeah. like, that they're, they're only for the colonies, you know, where the, the ruffians go. There, there are also, like, some really good shots of the people getting decapitated. Oh. There is an incredible battle sequence in this movie, in, in, this, in, in the Babylon section. We, like, you, you've got the siege towers, you've got people sword fighting. This is, like, the first movie to, like, figure out, like, action, I think. Um, I'm sure this is one of those cases where... Um, if you got a proper film historian on here, yeah. they would be like, well, no, no, no. What they're doing is they're D.W. Griffiths saw these three films yeah. that did these three things and combined them. But this was like the first big mainstream expression of them, yeah, I think. Like, well, and a lot comes from Birth of a Nation as well, horribly. But yeah. There were like a couple scenes where like, 
where people are sword fighting and then someone cuts someone else's head off and it's not just like two people are standing there and one of them swings a sword and then there's yeah. a cut and then the head's gone and then his sword finished swing. No, it's like, it looks like, like it, it looks like, it looks fake, but it also looks like a head just got cut yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really cool that like, but a film like this old was was like able to like figure out how to do that sort of thing. Yeah, and like the film's successes when they exist are essentially as an action film. Yeah. Um, which is not a synonym for bad. Like I feel mm. like if you're seven episodes into this, you know our thoughts on action. Yeah. Um, we like it when people get their heads knocked off with baseball <laughs> we, bats. We, we do. Um, we like when people's heads are dethroned <laughs> by um, big old rocks. Um, so that's the first of the four stories. The second is set around uh, Jesus' time and, yeah. and, and, and it, in old it's, Jerusalem it's town. Just, it's just the story of Jesus. Yeah, it's just him doing some Bible stuff. He goes to the wedding in 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 was it in Galilee and yeah. And, you know, he makes wine out of water and all that stuff. It's, and the intolerance is, you know, him being sent to be Yeah, it's like uh, it's the, 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 the bloody mean old Pharisees yeah. being, being mean to him. Because, yeah. and I want to make this clear, people telling D.W. Griffiths that his film was racist is as bad as the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know what you're saying with that tone. It sounds perfectly reasonable to me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so, I apologize for my tone. I think it's a, a factor of my mongrel accent. I want to be clear. I absolutely agree with the film Intolerance <laughs> that what is it, with like a love storms through the winds or something. It's called Love Struggle Through the Ages. Oh, yeah, mine, oh, sorry, sorry. Love Struggle Throughout the Ages. My, mine is better, I think. Is absolutely as bad as the systematic oppression of whole groups of people yeah. that led to the crucifixion of many, many people. Yep, exactly. Jarvis Cocker included. <laughs> JC. J- yeah, JC. Um, yeah, so like we're not going to talk about the Jesus one because that's the least interesting story. There is one like thing of note about about the Jesus section, yeah, and that is that uh, the guy who plays Jesus looks like uh, the like white face character from Atlanta. I thought he looked like the Buddy Christ from Dogma, but both of those <laughs> things can be true. I yeah, think. like this is maybe I don't know maybe the least charismatic Jesus I've ever seen on film, but one of the most. Jesus, like he yeah. really, really, they've done a very good job of making him look like the church stained window, which is to say, white version of Jesus. Like the hair is just the right length of beard. Yeah. The this, and because he's always like in the corner of scenes, kind of faintly glowing while other stuff is going on. So there is this real sense of like. People in Jerusalem at that time were hanging and drinking, and Jesus was just there glowing and glowering at yeah. them. And like these scenes, you just sort of zone out as soon as the Jesus stuff starts. I mean, and like you, you, you forget anything that's happening in them. Yeah. And I think part of that is the fact that both of us, I think, we can say are pretty firmly Unitarian Christians. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, no, we we're both uh, like I. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't. I think we're just meat with absolutely with sparks and jelly until we stop being. But I don't. I don't. I don't think religion is by default bad. I I think it is by default bad. Okay, unpack that for me. Well, I I I think any belief that isn't true is by default bad, especially if it's a belief that people base their lives around. But faith nope. is a thing that people can feel in their hearts and know to be true. I'm not like I'm saying if you take that if you t- if you take that further and use that true feeling within yourself to to harm 
people who share it or don't share it uh, or as an excuse, I, I think that is bad. And that's what I, mm. where I think a lot of uh, the, the, the bad that comes out of religion comes from. But I think at its core level, people, people have to choose the story by which they live their lives, the story they're within, the story they want to tell. And I don't think that being like, I'm going to live my life like maybe I might be on a cloud one day is bad. I think I'm mm. going to live my, and I think I'm going to live my life like I'm going to be on a cloud one day. So uh, people shouldn't have abortions is bad. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it does make it very easy that when old D.W. Griffiths, don't worry Griffiths, um, turns up and is like, here's some Jesus stuff. It does make you does make one's eyes slide off the screen if yeah. you will the third story yeah uh, is the second uh, uh least interesting yeah that is about the persecution of the huguenots yeah in, uh, in 16th century france and uh, again like anytime this stuff was happening i wasn't paying that much attention there, 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 there are people who are trying to convince uh the the, the king and queen to yeah. to like end religious wars yeah. And then there are other people who are trying to convince the king and queen to like take a stronger stand against the Huguenots. There, there, there's a woman called Brown Eyes yep. who is getting married to someone uh, whose whose name I believe is Prosper. Yeah, and it just it it all ends eventually with a big massacre of Huguenots and uh, uh, they'll die. It, it does the the titular massacre of Saint Bartholomew's. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I think with the Jesus section and the, the France section, like the, the, narratively they're the least interesting, but they also visually the least interesting. On that note, I do want to flag the odd hubris and possible naivete of naming a character in a functionally black and white film brown eyes. Yeah, um, this section of the film isn't even tinted brown. Like it is uh, uh, very annoying. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, but just like, just the the only name that we get for this character, yeah. the only thing to identify her yeah. is a thing that uh, is totally indistinguishable. Yeah. We can never know. Yeah. Um. But another great performance from from that woman, who, yeah. whose name I don't have to hand. Um. Uh. Anyway, and the woman who is Mary in the Jesus story, I remember enjoying that. The key takeaway I had from the the French uh, story was. The scenes of royalty, the king and queen especially, it's 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 the queen and a prince, her son. Right. Where yeah. they spend a lot of time pranking about um, as to they like Elizabethan jesters, like the, the amount of gurning and just flinging your body around to express yeah. an emotion. There, there, are, there are some very big reactions from these two. Um, and and it, I, I, I like, yeah, like I, I was the most engaged in the section when like the, the prince was just like tearing his hair out yeah. and screaming. And, I love that stuff. And the amount, obviously they're in a very emotionally fraught time mm. of, uh, of history, especially for themselves. But one does get the sense that if you're like, hey, Prince, do you want coffee or tea? And he says coffee. And then, like, oh, we don't have any. I just checked, we don't have any coffee. That he would immediately like rake his hands down his face, burst into tears, and then just start rending his clothes yeah. until he was but a but a, like a worm on the floor, wiggling with angst. <laughs> You, you just have you just have so much pent up frustration. Yeah. You just start running. You just start doing laps around the stage like David Byrne and <laughs> stop making sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like that. I, I presume that's a deliberate reference <laughs> from old DB from Double Brown. Um, sorry, Double Burn. <laughs> Double Burn. That. <laughs> 
Dear David Byrne, <laughs> comma, it's Yutha, a uh, big fan of your work, mainly recently. Shout out to Dan McCoy, full stop. Um, can I ask you, <laughs> why did you never go by the name Double Burn or Devil Burn? I feel like... It's got the same initials. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's, it, seems like, it seems like it's right there. Yours sincerely. Oh, loved you in the... Um, uh, what's that Netflix comedy special he's in? Uh, John Mulaney and the yeah. Sack Lunch Bunch. Yeah, I, did, I loved him in John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Loved you in John Mulaney. Full stop. Sure, comma. <laughs> Youther Charles Allen Dean, a playwright and performer. And I've signed it. It's it's four first names you got. <laughs> I know. Oof. Well, Youther is more commonly its surname. Really? Yeah, it's got four first names. Uh, one, one for myself, one for guests, one for special, uh, uh, and the other one for everyone to mispronounce. <laughs> That's right. People just keep calling me Dion. <laughs> <laughs> so, the fourth story, the fourth story, so, the fourth story. The fourth story. Um, is set in the modern world, which is interesting because the film released in 2016 1916? No, 2016. No. I refused to back down from them. correct? No, they (laughs) only invented sound in 2017. That's why Atomic Blonde is so good. (laughs) You're the first movie to have sound as Atomic Blonde. Yeah, yeah. When people sat down and were like, is that 19 lift balloons? Someone, turn your phone off. Oh. Ninety nine lift balloons. Uh, no, nine lift balloons. <laughs> you, you are, you are a wreck today. You. <laughs> no, I need you to. I'm right. I'm right, and you're Look, wrong. You don't even know the number of lift balloons. <laughs> um, but the, also, I just want to say uh, <laughs> the song "Ninety Nine Lift Balloons" by Nina. Good song. Okay, I, I like was it a lot. So, this, <laughs> I'm always so ready. <laughs> And this is an endorsement of you as one of my good friends. Whenever you say, I'll do things where like, I'm so ready for it to be like, racist. Be like, that song, racist. And to be clear, that song is racist. Fuck it. But I don't know what 99 red balloons could be racist code for, you know? Or a Chinese Lantern Festival. Dear Nina. <laughs> stop. Stop making yourself think everything's racist. You, but... It's you, Thur. Big fan. <laughs> Fuck. Thanks, Dan McCoy. Is, are the 99 red balloons? Also, the, the, the balloons weren't even red in her version of the song. Oh, the, they the, were luft. Yeah, because luft balloons just means balloon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, 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 the red was added on in the, for the English version of the song to keep the meter. Okay, so I'm pulling uh, my letter to Nina out of its typewriter. Yeah. I got my tipex. I'm writing out, did you intend? And then I'm writing in, did your translators <laughs> intend? Chair, Youth of Charles Allen Dayton, playwright and perform. Um so this talk talk to me, this modern plot of intolerance. What I don't what happened? So this uh, so just just like the, the plot in Babylon, it's uh, uh, it's very convoluted. Babylon AD, let's so, be clear. Yeah. Starring Vincent Dizelowitz. Yeah. His name, yeah. Yeah. Vince Vincenzo Petro. Oh, thank you. That's Vincenzo. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to hear more jokes like that, come see you for Dean do comedy. No, if you want to hear more jokes, I don't do that. But if you want to hear more nah. jokes like that, wait until I inevitably publicly release the video recording of my very good show, Elevation. Yeah, it was a fun show. Yeah, no, thank you. No one came. Um, oh, I came. Yeah, no, but... Well, I can't remember if I paid money to see that or not. Did I think you paid money. Yeah, it seems like I should have given you a comp. Yeah, you probably should have. 
I'm so, I was That's just okay. desperately trying to get in people who would talk about it. And if there's one thing I know about you, Finnegan's <laughs> Wake Nicholas, it is that you are notoriously tight of lip. Yeah, um, I'm all about, all about talking with my feet. Can I tell you, um, the past two times I've been to the classic, the which is Auckland's comedy bar, if you didn't know, it used to be a porn theatre. That's all people mention about it. Um, even though it used to be a silo. Um <laughs> That people have been like, oh, you're Yutha. You're doing a podcast with Finn Nicholas, aren't you? <laughs> um, which, to be clear, I am delighted by because I love it when people recognize me um, and my work. Anyway, the modern story. Yeah. So, so like, th- this Emma story and Babylon are the two that, like, have the most time spent on them. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they're also the most uh, complicated. But uh, essentially what, what happens is uh, uh, there is a young woman who I believe is is uh, known uh, for the first half of the film as like uh, uh, the dear little one. Just the dear one. The dear one. Okay. Sometimes but she's, she's called, called the, little a yeah, lot. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she, she's, she's the dear one. And her, her dad uh, works at a, uh, a factory. And you already knew this, people in the audience, but she's not especially little. It's to uh, control her through patriarchy. Um, yeah, she, 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 she's a regular-sized person. Yeah, she's a regular-sized person made into an object by D.W. Griffiths, who is also D.W. from Arthur. What mistakes she, has she made? Anyway, you're saying... Yeah, okay, so... If, um, there are uh, some like uh, some 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 hoity-toity high society um, uh, up in everyone's business woman during this period of American history. Uh, there are a lot of big movements for reform going on. Yeah, people trying to to change American society in in various ways. Uh, in this film, they're called the Uplifters. Yeah, they're they're sort of related to. Uh, the, 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 the like prohibitionist movement. Yeah. The, the, they're people who who believe that like you know society has become too degraded, and you know there's there's dancing in cafes these days. Yeah, that Ooh. is and another then, incredible intertitle. Yeah, and and it's like they they yeah they they they're just worried that you know everyone's if everyone's too too degraded. Not not enough people are are working and being Christian. Yeah. And so they they go to see uh, this uh, this uh, rich woman uh, whose name is Mrs Jenkins, uh, who uh, who who owns a factory. Yeah. And she's very sad about the fact that she isn't beautiful anymore and young because that's all the women care about. Yeah. And uh, this woman, as you would have guessed from her description, is let's say thirty years old. Um, she has big severe hair, which I believe is film cold for um an unmarriageable menopausal harridan. Uh, well, I, 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 I believe she is married. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you wouldn't marry her, right? Would uh, you? No, no, because she is long dead. <laughs> well, so that's prejudice. What you're expressing there? These women, they, they, they go, they go and see Mrs. Jenkins, and they basically get her to like donate to to to, to their movement. And and she, she in turn decides to like kind of crack down harder on her on her employees and make sure they're not out dancing in cafes and drinking and stuff. And uh, she does this, of course, by giving them a stern talking to. No, she doesn't. She cuts their wages by ten percent. Yeah. Just in case you're watching a film from 1916 and you need something to be angry about in the modern world, you just like, oh, that's right. That's what the capitalists do because they want to control people. And I think. 
like uh it's never mentioned in the film but these reform movements of like what they call the temperance movement which yeah. to um uh, and things like that were all uh coded uh, uh attacks on people of color a lot of the time a lot of prohibition you, you, usually yeah yeah um was about keeping uh, alcohol out of the hands of uh, non-white people because it's like a marijuana prohibition now in that uh black people uh it's a crime if you're not white and if you're white it's fine yeah Whereas it should be a crime for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's a yeah, more it'd be a more like, consistent position. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I I I yeah. I, I, I disagree with you, yeah, but I, I understand I, your view. I, I sort of disagree with me as well. Yeah, well, not as much as you think, though. <laughs> we'll we'll see. But uh, yes, so um, so, so she, she 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 orders a ten percent wage cut for everyone at the factory, and uh, uh, and in response to this, the, the workers go on strike. Yep. And as, as they're striking outside the building and giving speeches about how, like, yeah, this is what they do. They cut our wages so they can control us more. I mean, they, they use the money that they've taken from us to give to, like, these reformers who are trying to control us even more. And uh, ju- just like just like all good business owners, uh, she uh, she calls in a militia who come with rifles and Gatling guns and cannons uh, and start slaughtering the workers. Um, the the scene these scenes are obviously in the context of the film are deplorable, but in the context of watching it now, are grimly re- reminiscent of you know, for instance. No, un, un, uh, uh, what is it? Unnamed federal agents mm-hmm. uh, taking Black Lives Matter protesters uh, away. Um, and but this was because this is one of the early quote unquote like action set pieces yeah. in the film. In ter- uh, cr- chronologically, it's the climax uh, of that story. And it is. It was the first time I got a real sense of the action set pieces. And the thing that's most incredible, apart from just the amount of people he got is just the sense that we kind of saw in Yee Yee of when you shoot a group of people and so they become a mass of animals. Mm. And so you have, like, the bit of this film that will stay with me, apart from siege towers burning down, um, is there's this cut from the, the strikers getting ready to um, then the scabs who are ready to take their yeah. work to um, those militia who are pulling out Gatling guns that look like cannons, and um, which is all in which rhymes obviously with World War One that was going on right now. Yeah. Luckily, Wonder Woman was about to solve that. Um, <laughs> that's what happened in history, right? Yeah. Gal Gadot was like, hey, everyone, World War One is bad. Let's sing Imagine. Yeah. But he, he, here's, here's the thing with Wonder Woman. I, I think it would have been better for like the world as a whole if uh, if she just let World War One continue. Yeah. Because uh, in that case, uh, Chris Pine would have got to live. Yeah. And well, well, he's in the sequel, so he's probably still alive. Uh, they'll they'll find some bullshit way to keep him alive. I, Finn, take that back. There's no history. <laughs> I want you to look at the history of superheroes on film. And I want you to find me a case of them undoing a character's death in a previous film for spurious reasons. It, I'll save you. Not even just in comic book films. What about comic books themselves? It's never happened. I, I would say in Avengers Endgame, they bring yeah. Gamora back to life after throwing her up a cliff in the previous movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they bring her back to life just so they can throw Scarlett Johansson off the same cliff. I mean... Ugh. 
let's be fair. If there's one thing I know about the only female member of the Avengers, it's that I want her mercilessly fridged so that Jeremy Renner, a man who ran an app that was quickly overrun by racists, I want him out of Jeremy Renner and Scarlett Johansson, the Hurt Locker versus Ghost World, Jeremy Renner, the man so boring he could not replace Matt Damon (laughs) successfully. I want him to have the character development. Yeah, look, like I, I, so I, 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 I liked Endgame well enough when I saw it, but like the more I think about, especially like that part of the movie, I'm just like, yeah. what were they fucking thinking? Um, you're really beginning to regret your Russo brothers tattoo, eh? Yeah, oh, look, I'm, I'm just regretting it. I'm just regretting getting it in a place where everyone can see. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a cro- You know, um, if you've ever seen a photo of Finn, you'll be like, there's something up with his eyebrows. Thing is, not eyebrows. They are the words the Russo brothers <laughs> tattooed across his brow. Yeah, and like, <laughs> we, 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 here's the thing, like, when people are far away from me, it's fine. Yeah. But like, if, if I'm trying to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. There's like, you just have to explain that you really like the paintball episode of Community. Yeah, I'll be like, and people are like, oh, I bet you're just a big fan of Extraction starring from <laughs> Simsworth. I just And I'm love... like, no, they just produced that. They didn't direct it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, what is... They're making, like, a spy versus spy film, eh? Sure. Um, I think so. Um, anyway. Anyway, the, the the most successful filmmakers of all time, the Russo brothers. We've talked about the, the like, the shockingness hmm. of the violence in the Babylonian sections. This actually occurs before it. And the very fact of seeing... A scene of a militia killing striking workers. Yeah. That is, I, that was the first time I was like, oh, this film means business. Yeah. And like, like you, 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 you we, we talked about it. I was like, you, 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 you haven't seen Battleship Potemkin. No. But like, but like. I feel, I re, like, I, I haven't, but hmm. I haven't, but my brain thinks I have. Yeah. But like, but like the, the, this scene would feel like, well, this whole sequence would feel like perfectly at home in, in Battleship yeah. Potemkin. Like, like if, if D.W. Griffiths was like a smarter, better director, like this, like this would feel totally at home in like in like a Soviet film. Yeah, uh, yeah, I absolutely. Buy that. I think like for for, for 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 that reason, like this is one of my favorite parts of the film. Yeah, and it, it it's and it, this is where like the sheer skill of this film's expression of spectacle. Mm kind of brings me to what I'm going to term. Let's relitigate the Lenny Riefenstahl debate. Okay. Um, for, for those of you playing along at home, Lenny Riefenstahl is a German filmmaker um, who directed, amongst other things, Triumph of the Will and Olympia, which were uh, Nazi-commissioned and controlled films, yeah. propaganda. Um, and I mean, it, it, is, yeah. it, it is arguably like she is the like a single most like successful film propagandist of all time. And they are to flatly state without ambiguity, uh, Nazis and, uh, are amongst the worst things humanity has created. Absolutely. Uh, they, they are abject. I have no sympathy for any Nazi. Um, but the films she made allegedly, like the narrative that's pushed about them is that they pioneer a lot of techniques. A yeah. lot of how modern sports broadcasting comes, this is what I was taught, yeah. but I cannot trust that anymore because we live in 2020, um, is from Olympic. And the problem is, as she always claimed, and she went, on, she made other films uh, mm. afterwards, she went on to claim, you know, I never knew about, you know, all the bad stuff the Nazis did. Yeah. And there's there's a debate about 
even with that in mind or out of mind, do those films still have merit because they are, on technical terms, good films? Yeah. But does is the ideology behind them so bad that they are uh, decanonized, uh, if you will? And I feel the same way about, I was about to call it disloyalty. What's it called? Intolerant. Intolerance. How, I, how could you forget? <laughs> I, it just bounces off. Anyway, and I kind of feel the same way about intolerance because I feel... Like, the man who follows Birth of a Nation with a film that is about how white people are oppressed is, I would say, is representing and expressing an ideology that I find as venomous as Nazism. And it's like the same ideology. And so, like, does that, is it allowed to, are we okay saying that these fight scenes are cool? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, like, a key difference between Riefenstahl and Griffiths is, like, is, is that Riefenstahl's films are purely propaganda. Like, there, 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 is, there is nothing happening in, in, uh, in The Triumph of the Will or Olympic that is not specifically, like, about... Uh, yeah, but it's not specifically about, like, forwarding the, 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 the Nazi viewpoint and the Nazi aesthetic. And, like... and. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying this is necessarily better, but like, but like the, the films that Griffiths made, like while they do have a uh, a noxious ideology, they they are also meant to be like entertainment in a way that Triumph of the Will is not. I would make <sighs> Nazis are bad. I think I would make that defense for Olympia as well. Okay, um, because. Olympia is pure propaganda, but it's largely propaganda for sports people. But it, it's it's propaganda for the Nazi idea of sports people. But D.W. Griffith's making Birth of a Nation and then Intolerant. I just don't. I think the key difference between D.W. Griffiths and Leonard Riefenstahl is that D.W. Griffiths signed one. And when you think about it, when you think about Birth of a Nation, it's actually his side also lost because um, they had to start the KKK. And you don't start the KKK if you can get your shit done by legitimate means. And the reason you can't get your shit done by legitimate means is because you want to be in the fucking KKK, you know? And like that, and that, it doesn't unmake the films. Yeah. You know, we can still look at the films. But it is, I, this is the first film where I'm like, I don't know if it's shite or sound. Yeah. But I really disagree with it being on this list. Okay, I really disagree on the hundred, the hundred best films yeah. list. I'm not. I'm yeah, not. Yeah. This is not me coming for you <laughs> for, for for saying we should do this podcast um, because I think there are there will be films from this era or other filmmakers from this era or just after that kind of like we'll get to Fritz Lang, but like at least only Fritz Lang's wife was a Nazi. Yeah, you know. Does that, I feel like I've just done a bad TED talk. Does any of what I've just said make sense to you? It's okay. They're, they're just called TED Talks. Yeah. yeah. Please. They were Theodore Torkovsky before they got to Ellis Island. Um, it's the nose laughter of someone who's heard a joke, <laughs> but seconds before. Um, but do, yeah, does that make sense? And I'm not, to be clear, I'm not saying that if you want to watch this film, you're a racist. I'm saying that if this is one of your top hundred films of all time, you might be a little bit of a racist. Yeah, but I, I'd also have like the like list of films that people are submitting to to Sight and Sound aren't like these are my 
10 favorite films of all time yeah it's these are the films that are most representative of what the of, of like of what the cinema is capable of uh, i think but it's still labeled as a best films list sure yeah if it was like the 10 most influential 100 most influential films absolutely yeah but the very and it is and it's so slippery because it never says the quiet part loud hmm. but like the looming specter of racism over this film of yeah i think just disqualifies it from being best yeah no I, especially I, I, for I, like a, such a caucasian publication yeah you know no i i i, I totally understand that viewpoint but yeah no i i don't know i think maybe part of the reason that like people like will keep putting it on this like this is because of the idea that like this was his apology film and I think like p- people can use that to 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 like justify saying this is a Griffiths film. It's okay to like because th- in, in this one he was he was saying he was sorry. And I guess what I'm saying in response to that is I don't accept his apology. Yeah. And his apology seems to me a very much in the style of I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. You know, I'm sorry you felt that way. Yeah, apology. Yeah. But it's some of the best silent acting I've ever seen. Mm. That's this is the knot of the film, right? And so. As the as the film goes on, and it goes on. Yeah. Oh, the first hour and a half is that that went by pr- pretty pretty quickly. I think. Yeah. About yeah, an hour and a half into it. That's when I went to <laughs> went to pee. So that's when I knew we got an hour. We had an hour left, and I I remember thinking I have no idea how much time has passed. Yeah. But I also was thinking like has just extended watching like a three hour film a week for like the past three weeks. Yeah. It feels like. Has this just trained me? And then when I got back, it was interesting some more, and then it got slow. And I'm going to say slow is a synonym for boring. And it just got slow, and I was like, oh, no, thank God. I can can recognize when films get slow. (laughs) Thank Christ. Um, But the stories get more and more intercut until another battle with the strikers is cut with the attack by the Persians on Babylon Mm. and uh, also with the the old Badu's. Um, stringing up old Jeezy Creasy and um, with the, the massacre of St. Ben, St. Bartholomew's Eve. Yeah. Um, they all start kind of cutting together and it also starts bringing in footage that to represent World War One. Yes. Um, and then it's, there's all this conflict, there's all this intolerance and it builds to all this war. Man killing man. And how does this film propose ending that? Uh, this movie was shot and released like during World War One. Yeah. And like the, the, this film proposes that uh, that World War One will end when the literal heavens open up and God and His angels look down upon the battlefield and say, "Nah, come on, guys, <laughs> yeah. let's hey. spread the." What if instead of dropping bombs, people dropped flowers? That sounds like something an intertitle would say. It is something an intertitle would say, but you also get a literal representation. Yeah, I feel like dropping a bouquet into like a mortar launcher. Is that um, it? And it is spectacularly tone deaf. This, the special effects shot, the process shot, which has them warring on the ground, the sky, mm. and then this beautiful, huge choir of angels yeah. with God, and, and I think Jesus is also I, there. I believe so. Um, is, yeah, kind of the peak of this film's, for me, this film's, a technical achievement against its uh, uh, moral cowardice. Because yeah. the idea of looking at war and thinking, the only thing worse than saying the solution to World War One is uh, loving um, a Christian God more, uh, which is exactly the wrong kind. Yeah. The, r- the well, wrong well, kind of faith, as I was talking about. Well, the which only is also like, which is like, everyone in World War One already Christian. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, the only thing worse than that would be implying that all World War One needed was Wonder Woman to stop it, <laughs> or um, but but you know to to close that loop. Mm. Um, and it, it's such a beautiful shot, right? Yeah, that it makes you almost forget how vapid it's being. When we we talk about movies that are incredibly vapid. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I I can think of at least one yeah. that is more vapid than intolerance. Okay, and actually, like vapid about about the same issues, basically. Oh, I I I don't know if you've heard of it before. It's uh, it's uh, it's a movie called Crash, um, and it's, it's uh, by David Cronenberg. Yeah, it's about fucking cars. <laughs> <laughs> um, please, it's pronounced Crash. Which that's my impression of. That's the impression of Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. I'm I'm very bad at impressions. So, but let's square everything away. Finn, I've just had a thought. I've just had a great idea yeah. for a section. Um, tell me, Finn, looking back on intolerance, love fights, hearts over war and solving, um, do you consider it shite or sound? It's like, I think as with almost any uh, binary set of categories, yeah. shite and sound uh, doesn't really work for a lot of movies. <laughs> I I don't think I can answer one way or the other. I I think it it, it is both in sections. Yeah, there, there there are sections of this that are like like I I haven't seen like a tremendous amount of silent films. I've I've seen I've seen a fair few, and like this has some of the best silent filmmaking I've ever seen. Yeah, it has some of the grandest spectacle I've ever seen in a yep. film. There, there there is one particular scene in, in the Babylon section where there is this like there there is massive wide shot of of this 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 square and it's like this is an entire set they built and it must be like hundreds of hundreds of meters wide yeah. thousands of extras thousands it is of people so yeah. like it is so ornate and over the top and then the camera starts like the camera starts moving in and you realize it's a, it's a crane shot yeah and like the camera is just moving in for a good like 10 or 15 yeah. seconds and it's like yeah no this is this is incredible masterful filmmaking yeah and like and this this is doing stuff like I didn't even know they could do at this time, and like I I I I I don't I don't think any any of the like badness of the film's politics is going to take away for me the things that I genuinely enjoyed about this film. It is both shite and sound. I think it is awe. But I would just like to point out before we move on that that, that great description uh, uh, of that moment and uh, the effect it had on mm. you uh, and wrestling with its politics, you could be talking about Triumph of the Will. That is why, to me, yeah. intolerance is awe. But, but here's the thing. I don't yeah. like Triumph of the Will. Yeah. I yeah. Like no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. And to be clear, I don't like Triumph of the yeah. Will. Yeah. I just remember seeing it and being like, these are impressive shots. Yeah. I'm not intolerance. Okay, here is my rating out of shite and or sound for intolerance. Better than Triumph of the Will. <laughs> so speaking of other films that are better than Triumph of the Will, obviously there's David Cronenberg's Crash. Yeah. But is Mike Haggis. Paul Haggis. Paul Haggis. Giving him Mike Figgis again. I know. Imagine if the time code guy had made this. Paul Haggis, Paul Haggis's crash, brackets, 2005, close brackets. Is that better than Triumph of the Will? Uh, I So I've, I've seen Crash more recently than I've seen Triumph of the Will, yeah. so I'm angrier at Crash currently. I have moved beyond anger with Crash, <laughs> and that it now, I, I think we've said things like this before, but I want to emphasize now, 
it is an indictment of the entertainment industrial complex yeah. that this script was A, conceived, B, written, C, read by other people, read by actors, producers, editors, that it was then shot like this with these performances, edited, released, promoted. This was a big film. Yeah. And the very fact that something as... Uh, gruesome could allow that to happen and then win the best i mean like the oscars are bullshit we know awards are fucking bullshit except of course for the specific awards that i've been nominated for and not won which yeah. are well, the only also, important also, awards times we're like they're like the oscars the oscars gave the awards to the right people yeah i mean and like then we're like okay great job yeah uh, you, you only need to do it for 90 more years to make up for what you've done so far well and it is like parasite winning um is like part of the joy of that was like, oh look, the stopped clock is especially right today. <laughs> but it is the worst, not counting films that are basically not films, yeah. like Hick and the Test, which are films that disappeared and no one saw. Um, the, it's the worst film I've ever seen. At one point, uh, while watching it, I turned to you and asked if this is what watching a Serbian film was like. And if you don't know about a Serbian film, don't watch it. Read The Parent's Guide on IMDb. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I've not seen it, and I will not. So I was like, this, this isn't quite my, my least favorite film yeah. of all time. Just because I think I've seen it before, and so I was able to take enjoyment of and like yeah. how shocked you were by what was going on, <laughs> and like uh, so I I was I, I I was I was having a great time through parts of it. So I was like, oh, oh, I know what's happening now. Uh, well, what 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 youth is going to think of this? It is. We finally found a film that matches the erratic, violent and unsettling energy put forward by Steve Martin's Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> like, so for those of you at home who don't know about Crash, Crash is a film about racism and how racism is bad. Uh, Which well, I think uh, we, 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 we can both get behind as like, oh, that, absolutely. That, that, that's, uh, that's, that, that's a good thing to make a film about. Um, as someone who just tried to defend Triumph of the Will <laughs> half-heartedly, I want to make clear that racism is bad and racism is endemic racism yeah. exists within all of us i agree with that it's not that this film is wrong it's that it's a dick about it is the but problem it's also wrong sometimes it is okay so uh let's breaking down the plot is difficult because we will just be stating so there's um two characters have an interaction and then they both start screaming slurs at each other and that and that's every there's scene. A, there's one scene where it doesn't... There are two scenes in this film that I would call... I'm going to... I'll rewind. Okay. okay. Part of what hurts me the most about the nonsense of this film, of its emptiness, uh, its inability to articulate itself well, even when it's right, yeah. is that there are two scenes that are good, and it's like a portal opened in your screen. It was like, here's the good version of this film. Um, one is uh, Michael Pena is in the film. What a delight. Yeah, he, he's, he's great all the time. And he gives one of the few like good performances in this. Um, and he is just, he's one of those people who's obviously a movie star yeah. in that he's charismatic, but he plays with that. And it's like, every time I see a Michael Pena performance, I'm like, uh, is this just the default Michael Pena performance? But then you see a couple next to each other and you're like, no, he is doing yeah. 
he how he shades in those things and he has a scene talking with his young daughter who gives um an incredible performance uh, uh like even after, straight after seeing Yee Yee a week ago this is a good and they're talking about um a stray bullet that hit the house yeah. and 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 he's kind of made it palatable for this young woman by making it kind of a fairy tale, the bullet still hidden in the room, you know, uh, and, and I that scene and, and and another smaller scene that doesn't warrant really talking about that's just good and well executed. Mm-hmm. Um, that shows that the people who make this film know how to make smart decisions and how to address these issues. Yeah. So they not like so much of the pain of Louis C.K. being me too, um, and like Warren Ellis is that you look at their work and they know better. Yeah. You know? And so those moments in Crash was the film turning and being like, see, we know better. Now let's get back to uh, a scene of uh, Chris Ludacris Bridges um, and someone playing uh, his brother. No, no, just friend. Just his friend. Oh, because he's he's someone else. He's he's Donathan Cheadle's brother. Um, Hotel Rwanda himself. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a good joke. Congratulations. Um, uh, talking about how, you know, they're in LA and everyone's rich, but everyone's looking mean at them. Oh, Sandra Bullock's looking at us real mean. She burrowed into her husband, Brendan Fraser, real close. That's racist. Oh, it's because they think we've got guns. Well, guess what? We do have fucking guns. We're going to steal a fucking car. And it's just like, <laughs> that's not how you do it. You don't get to say racism is wrong and then have every racist stereotype be right. The first scene is literally an Asian woman causing a car accident. You, in 2004, you cannot. You're not allowed. It's not. And so that's why the film, and every scene is like that. Yeah, it, it, it is like, <sighs> it, it, it is the, the most, like, it is the most hectoring movie I've maybe ever seen. It, it, I can it, feel my blood pressure it, raising. Every single scene is just is just shouting at you over and over again the exact same like basic observation about racism well, and, and and being like refusing to like and being like it is refusing to take its own criticisms on board. Yeah, it's like it boils down to every scene starts with the premise: racism is bad. You get a racism is bad beat and, and then, then it's just the characters doing a racism at each other back and forth for yeah, a while but it's always like oh you shouldn't be mean to that asian woman oh no she's ra- she's racist too oh don't be mean to that white person turns out he's they're all and it and it has the unintended side effect is that it does end up being a film that seems to be like uh you know racism is bad but it's also right. Like r- racism is bad, but racist caricatures are all accurate. Mm. Um, and that's not even getting into the fact that one of its core plot lines is about rehabilitating a rapist, racist cop. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's I, all about showing that, you know, what? He, may, he may have sexually assaulted a woman in the first scene we see him. In, oh, but God. you know what? He's got a pretty hard life. He's got to he's got to look after his dad. Yeah, his dad who keeps shitting himself, um, <laughs> and then he saves a woman from a car crash. The woman, the same woman, the same woman yeah. that he sexually assaulted. Tandy Newton, poor Tandy Newton. Can you imagine the fact that Tandy Newton lo- is like, oh, how were the orts for you? Oh, I was in Mission Impossible Two and Crash, yeah, and it- she's still good. But and it's also like that. 
the the beat that's dwelled on in that story is saving her uh, from a bl- flaming car. So it's the film's solution is a here's a here's a racist rapist cop, but also he does the bare minimum of his job when he doesn't know it's a person of color. And then the film is like, do you know what would be better than saving a woman he has sexually assaulted, having romantic chemistry with her in the scene where he saves her and it is the most tone deaf thing I've ever considered and I'm including that time we went to an open mic comedy club and a man talked for seven minutes about nuggets who are people with no arms or limbs so I... I'm going to take this opportunity to, um, uh, to 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 talk a bit more about this Nuggets guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because... But, like, it is, like... How, okay, go. Okay, so... This, <laughs> we don't know his name. That's why we feel okay talking yeah, so about I, him. I, I just call him Johnny Nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> that is more laughs than he has gotten in his entire stand-up career. So... So he he's this guy who like dressed in a super had like a bunch of neck tattoos and stuff. Yeah, of course. He he's there's like like what white guy in mid thirties probably. Yeah, he definitely looks like a villain from one of the first four Fast and Furious films. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he yeah, so he, he he gets on stage. He 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 does this like this insane stuff about a uh, about how like his his goal in life is to have sex with people with no arms or legs. For for like a like a long time, yeah. But then at, at, at like a certain point, he he says, "But that's not the height of a nugget fantasy." <laughs> and then he starts he starts describing like all the different sorts of nuggets, and it's like I've seen a lot of bad comedy in my life. Like I I go to I, I go to open mics every single week j- just just to watch usually, and I've I've seen some. I've seen some genuinely offensive and horrific stuff being said yeah. on stage by people, but like this is this is the craziest thing I've ever seen anyone say. Um, I, my emotional journey because I was also in the audience. Yeah. Um, we were sitting next to each other. It's, we weren't strangers, you know. This wasn't the end of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I made <laughs> okay the end of Portrait. Um, and, and I remember my experience of being like, okay, like this isn't. I mean, this isn't terrible, but at least he's not talking. Um, about sexually assaulting them. And then about halfway through, he starts talking about sexually assaulting right. uh, people without arms or legs. And, and I was just... And yet the moment uh, in Crash when Matt Dillon, Matt Dillon, um, uh, uh, an actor who I, at one point during the film, I, I said, I have to keep remembering he's playing a role because I'm developing an actual enmity to him um, as a being because I'm so reviled by this character, his function, everything. The moment when uh, uh, he's saving Tandy Newton from the crashed car and, and, and then their faces come very close and then they do the like looking at each other's lips and back into each other's eyes moment. Yeah. When this is a scene that begins with her recognizing him and yelling, don't touch me. And he says, I'm not going to touch you. Then he goes to unbuckle her and he touches her and it is genuinely almost almost as upsetting as re- as 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 witnessing that kind of behavior in real life yeah. it's, and the, 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 it's the, the, the most tone deaf thing ex- apart from that nugget guy yeah. so that's and the, the point the, i want the, to like, make thing that the film is trying to do there is like at, at, at the beginning of the film like he pull he pulls her and her husband terence howard over please use terence howard's full name war machine one so he, he pulls him over in an attempt to like emasculate terence howard and like prove that he can do whatever he wants. He essentially assaults Tandy Newton during during this traffic stop. Later in the film, when she is in the car upside down and he needs to, uh, he, he he needs to get her out. 
when when he like reaches across the lab and he touches her, he's doing the exact opposite of like what he was doing before. So like at the traffic stop, he is like running his hand like up up her dress. Yeah. And in, in this one, like, her, her dress is, like, written up and he is, like, pulling her dress back down so she has yeah. some modesty while she's upside down in a flaming car. But you still, when you have promised to someone that you will never touch yeah. them, you, do, like, and it is worth, like, when we first meet Tandy Newton, her and Terence Howard are out on the town, um, and Terence Howard uh, is a what the film would kind of call a good black person. And of course, all the quote unquote good black people or model minorities in this film, that that phrase I've just come up with, uh, fall within that especially pernicious stereotype of being essentially white. Yeah. All the, the characters of color who we're supposed to uh, fully support are essentially white characters who happen to have a different skin color. Um, none of them engage with their, their culture or anything. Um, but when we meet them, so uh, Terrence Howard is there dressed like a, a white man, dressed like Bradley Whitford in Get Out. Um, and Tandy Newton is in a, a short dress. And the key thing to know about that is uh, the the film leers at her in that dress, as I've, I've said many times. And so then you get this moment of when Matt Dillon is assaulting her, that has lingered on as well. Yeah. So the film's scopophilia is endorsing the work of this character. Even Mike Figgis. <laughs> sorry, Paul Haggis. Paul Haggis. Not Mike Figgis. Please don't be mean to And Paul Haggis un, like, absolutely did not intend that, mm. but he... He did it. And that is like at the root of the rot in so fucking much of yeah. this film. And especially, like, we haven't looked this up, but we think Marina Sirtis is in the cast. We think she played a, a Persian woman, uh, uh, which is brownface. Um, I was surprised there's only one case of brownface in this cast, which puts it on a par with aliens. <laughs> um and that, yeah, but like, that, but like in aliens, that, that's part of the, the like long history of, of Jewish people playing Mexican characters. Yes, of, of course, uh, everyone knows uh, Eli Wallach in *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*. Oh, okay, I did not. Ah, Sergio, what are you doing? You're as bad as Crash now by the rules <laughs> I've just invented. Are we going to have to have when we eventually do *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*? Are it's we going to? It's not on the list. Are we going to have to have the Lenny Leaf and style discussion like, again? I. It's so weird, but like the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly is not on the top one hundred list, which is crazy to me. Because is is there a Leone on there? Yeah, uh, once upon a time the West is on there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can I can understand once upon a time in the West is like the the acceptable face of Leone westerns. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. No, no. But, but both great movies. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's um. That was not. Yeah, no, no. no. I just want to make that was me talking to the as audience. A, as much as I've talked in the audience uh, to the audience as well, we're just talking through you now. Um, we're a damaged marriage talking <laughs> through the kids. I, I want to make clear that uh, I, <laughs> I cannot remember the point. I want to. Oh no, that I do. No, Leone is good and racism is bad. Um, so that. Okay, so there is. So we start. I can't talk about the plot of this film. And order no. it's just scenes like that again and then people crash into cars so there's michael pena and and his daughter and of course part of the story he tells her is about how he says like when when he was a little boy he was scared and fairy yeah. came into his room one night and the fairy gave him 
uh, uh, gave him an invisible cloak that made him impenetrable. And so that, that's why he's never been shot or stabbed in his life. It's because he, he has this invisible cloak that he wears all the time. And in, in order to make his daughter feel better, he says, I'm, I'm going I'm to give, give the cloak to you now so, so you'll be invincible. Yep, and that's part of that good scene. Hmm. Um, then Michael Pena uh, goes on, there is a... Um, a a uh, 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 like a convenience store a bodega dairy yep. owner um, has recently been robbed and is buying a gun to to protect himself and, and his uh, his daughter. The, these are the they refer to themselves themselves as Persian, um, which I presume is a deliberate choice, though possibly could just be a racist choice yeah. by the two white as the driven fucking REM audience snow of this show of this fucking film. Um, and, uh, of course, um, and like when I say that, you just have to assume that if, uh, as you do in the scene where he's buying the gun, uh, first, the white person is racist to him. Then he's racist back to the white person, yeah. like every scene is. But anyway, um, so Michael Pena is a locksmith and, and, and comes to fix the lock. But it's not the lock that's broken, it's the door. And he explains this to the convenience store owner. And the convenience store owner, because it's his turn to be racist. And, and because it's established in the gun buying scene, he, he doesn't, like, he, he, he has a better grasp of English than anyone in the film has of, of Farsi. But he's he's not an amazing English speaker. He like he is when he needs to be. Yeah, he is yeah. when the film needs him yes, to be. Yes, like yeah. yeah. That, that, that's that's one of that's one of the, the many issues. Um, is the uh, film can, cannot decide how good any of the char- any of the minority characters are at speaking English. Um, and, and that includes, in case you were uh, uh, hoping this film made a good decision, uh, the black characters. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they, they, they'll shift in eloquence in a way that yeah. I think is maybe, did he think he was representing code swapping? Uh, but so Michael Pena explains to the convenience store owner, it's not the lock that's broken, it's the door. And the dairy owner, because it's his job to be a racist, uh, and part of being a racist in the film is also having the object permanent skills <laughs> of a three-year-old, um, is like, no, no, it is, you have to fix it. And he goes like, no, but I can only fix the lock, not the door. And he goes like, you fix the lock. And you're just like, and it's, it's terrible. But anyway, <laughs> so the, the convenience store is robbed again. And they can't get any of their money. Um, and so he becomes convinced that Michael Pena, because he's Hispanic, um, robbed him. The insurance company won't won't give him anything because the, the locksmith said that you needed to replace the door. And so it is the, the, the insurance company are saying it is negligence on the fault of the owner for not fixing the door. That's why he got robbed. So they, they can't get any insurance money. So he, he, he doesn't believe that Michael Pena uh, robbed him. He, 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 he just blames him. For, for a store getting broken into because he thinks that he cheated him on the lock fixing. Yeah, and, and so he does the logical thing in that situation. What does he do, Finn? Uh, he uh, uh, he reaches into a bin that the camera had been focusing on uh, for about 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, <They're> like, <laughs> and, he, it's, and this 20-second looming slow tracking on a bin yeah. is the best representation this film has of itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so he 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 reaches into his bin and he finds he finds the uh, uh, he finds the invoice that, that Michael Pena gave him. Yeah, and which has his uh, home phone number and address on it. Yeah, so he goes to Michael Pena's house. Yep. Uh, with the gun he bought and confronts him, saying, "Yeah, 
yeah, you know, you told you should have fixed it. You, yeah, you scammed you, you, me. You, you cheated me. And uh, so his daughter sees this happening. Uh, ru- his daughter sees this happening and runs to her mum and says, "Oh no, he's out. He's outside, and he doesn't have my cape." So the daughter runs out uh, and jumps on Michael Pena, which of course causes the the dairy owner, whose name I cannot remember, nor the name of the actor. He's a, We've seen him in good things. Yeah, he, 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 he was an Iron Man. Yeah. Um, he pulls a Newt Scamander and shoots the daughter, which leads to a sequence of some of the most melodramatic, and I'm using that as a pejorative term, <laughs> shots of people screaming. And it is also like seeing this for the first time because you're like, oh, someone's going to get shot. Oh, no. Oh, it's going to be the fucking daughter. How dare this fucking film dare do this? And then it happens and you're like, you're doing it and you're doing it this poorly. And then... There's it turns the, out she's okay. She's fine. And, and, and he runs <sighs> out and like, oh, it's the magic cape. Yeah. Well, that's a, Which is one of the many times... Um, uh, 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 it was at that point where they pull up the shirt to reveal that her back is fine, where the bullet wound mm. would be, um, where then... Well, this is where I started cackling. Um, yeah, and uh, you missed... Because at that point, I immediately reflexively said, fuck you, <laughs> to the film. Which is also what Michael Pena's character, me and Michael Pena, for one moment, did a jinx on each other. Um, And he couldn't talk for the rest of the movie. uh, (laughs) Well, they do kind of disappear. Characters just drop in and drop out. We were saying. I'm pretty sure that's his last scene, right? Yeah. This film uh, is not, uh, you know, is in the shortcuts, Magnolia. Um, yee-yee style of it, it, many disparate threads that kind of bounce in and out of each other. And it's very much made by, it seems like it's made by someone who is aware that that genre of film exists, but has not seen any of them. Or if he has, he grossly misunderstands how they work. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, it was just like that scene in a microcosm. And there's like... Um, Ludacris and his friend uh, uh, have some adventures through through the night, yep. which of course uh, inevitably lead to Ryan Philippi. Oh fuck! I just remembered. I Every single time that one of us remembers a plot point of this film, it makes us actively depressed. I just don't like because the other major kind of there are several other threads going through the film, but the really key other major thread. Um, is a ref- an attempted reflection on the fact that uh, in America especially, but across the world, um, people, uh, white police officers, will murder with impunity yep. people and men especially of colour. Um, it is it is an issue we have here in New Zealand. Uh, if you're Māori or, or Pacifica in, uh, or not white, it's much easier to be killed by the cops uh, 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 in this country. Um, and yet this, it's an issue we also had with Intolerance because a lot of Intolerance's plotting is a film, is you know when you see something and it's got a big political point to make and so all of its plot movements are about, so there are a lot of films that are about how like political idealism is good hmm. but the system always gets you down and then so you get to watch two hours of a film specifically designed 
to force a character into a corner where they have to compromise. Yeah. And it's like you're watching and it's like, oh, look, people, naive people always compromise. And you're like, no, they compromise because you made a film where they compromised. And like Intolerance is one of those films where it's like, no, these white people are only oppressed because you've uh, only being, the intolerance is only pointing at these white people because you've made a film like that. And so this whole film, this whole thread is about kind of creating a... Um, puzzle box to create a situation where a white cop shoots an unarmed black man but it's kind of justified or morally gray you know like this whole film is doing a lot of work to get to this moment of being like oh well you know they do have guns or we know that guy is dangerous like it's very telling that the the character who has killed Ludacris's friend is the person who earlier in the film they hit someone with a car and try and like there's the film is working so hard to kind of be on the cops' side and seeing in in 2020, seeing a film which is working so hard to be like, but what about the acceptable times? Also, or... I, I, I sort of disagree with like that uh, that's what the film is trying to do. Oh, okay. What's so you... I, I think in, in, in this scene, it, it's doing something that's like, Sort of, it's just as like bad. But like, yeah. what, what what the film is doing in in the scene, which is like the the final scene of the film, or one one of the final scenes of the film, where where uh, uh, where, where where Ryan Phillippe, who is uh, who is Matt da- uh, Matt Dillon's uh, uh, partner at the beginning of the film, and, and and just briefly, there's a scene earlier where Ryan Phillippe works very very hard to stop cops killing Terence Howard. Yeah. Um. But sorry, and so, you and continue. So he 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 stops working. He wants to stop working with Matt Dillon. Because of because of this assault that he witnesses, and then yeah, and then, then later in the film, he he uh, he helps save uh, Terence Howard's life. Yeah, and but then in, in, in this, he's he, he's he's very as much as this film also seems to endorse Matt Dillon's character. He's also very clearly coded as the good white cop. Yeah. You know, he's a very blue lives matter interpretation of a good cop though yeah. but so in, in in this final scene where, where he, where he he's, he's picked up uh, uh, he's picked up Ludacris's friend as as uh, as, as a hitchhiker and uh, so he, i think what 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 the film is trying to do in this scene is like for, throughout the film yeah he, he's been the like the good white cop he's been the one yeah. who's not racist he's been the one who's like who's like all about de-escalation i mean in in the, in this this scene it is it's showing the like I think I think in 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 a certain sense, this scene is showing like him like turning into Matt Dillon. Yeah, we're, we're because like, we're, we're like he is over the course of of a few minutes of like being 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 like in close quarters with with, with this black man and like starting to believe he's suspicious. And it's it, it, and and again, say the quote by like it's a scene of uh, racial profiling happening in in progress, like. Yeah. Uh, 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 in real time, and yeah. so like at, at at a certain point in, in the scene, we should we should figure out what his name is, so we don't just keep calling uh, Ludacris's friend. Peter is the character's name. Oh, okay, Lorenz Tate uh, is yeah. Lorenz right. Tate is the actor. Oh, we have to briefly talk earlier. Wants to complain about Matt Dillon, the racist, mm. um, and so he goes to his boss, who is Keith David. Fuck yes, love. Keith David. Ass to ass, to quote Keith David. Um, Keith David from The Cape. Keith David from, um, I want to say, Happy Gilmore? Keith David from the Scott Adkins movie Savage Dog. <laughs> Keith David from My Dreams, My Hopes, My Vision Wall. Keith David from uh, Dragon Ball Evolution. Keith David, the uh, socially acceptable Isaac Hayes. 
in terms of performance and voice work. Um, and he says, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm trapped in a racist system and reveals himself to be racist. Uh, you know, it's a standard scene, but it's, it's, it's nice to see him. Yeah. Um, and then after that, Matt Dillon is like, I heard you got yourself transferred to another partner. Now, let me tell you, you think you're all good and smart, uh, but give yourself a few years in the job, you'll change. You'll become a racist too. Hmm. The last of those is the only one he doesn't explicitly say. Uh, and then the film goes on to agree with him. But as you're saying, yeah. that he's, pick, he's picked up... But like, I, I think like... Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he he he, pick, he picks up Peter. Yep, Peter. Yeah, Peter. So he picks up Peter earlier in the day. Uh, Peter and Ludacris had stolen uh, had stolen a car that had a uh, that had a like uh, uh, that had a Saint Christopher um, like figure figure on it. Yeah. And he he turns out he's religious, so he he takes the, the Saint Christopher uh, statue with him. And w- when when he is in Ryan Phillippe's car, he sees that Ryan Phillippe also has. Uh, yeah. And so he starts laughing because, uh, because you know, this film, it's all about coincidences, you know? It's all about the crazy coincidences of life. So he, he, he starts laughing, and, and Ryan Phillippe thinks that, like, oh, this black guy is laughing at me, and he, he, get, he gets upset about that, and he, he goes, like, pull over to, to like, ma- make him get out of the car. Peter says, you know what I'm laughing about? Here's what I'm laughing about. And, like, reaches into his pocket, and Ryan Phillippe thinks that he's going for a gun, and so pulls out his gun and shoots him. And so I think, like, what... So I I don't think that the film is endorsing uh, Ryan Phillippe's actions here. The unintentionally uh, comedic shots of Ryan Phillippe looking aghast and the guy with blood immediately spurting from his mouth yeah. show that this film is trying to be uh, uh, dramatic. Yeah, so I, I think, like, it, it is, it, it, it's a scene about, like, how, like... Uh, I think if if this movie was like written, if if this same story was written by someone who was smarter, it would be very clear that, that this scene is about like about like being around police officers and being exposed to the sort of rhetoric that that they like steep themselves in yeah. to make them feel okay about what they do. This scene would very clearly be like an indictment of that and an exploration of how like quickly someone can be like someone can be like tainted by by those sorts of beliefs. Yeah, and. If that is their intent, I applaud it. Mm, yeah. Because absolutely, right? This film, like, at certain points is, like, very, like, anti-cop. I mean, at other points it says, yeah, but also they're heroes who will, like, put their lives on, on the line to to save us. And, like, it, it, it cannot pick a side. I think that that's one of the real problems that this, that this film has. Yeah. Total moral cowardice. Well, the almost the least, but the most glaring of its flaws is its just aggressive most both sides-ism. Yeah. You know, very good people on both sides. In a way that I feel like... It even, like... It isn't. It doesn't just both sides by saying like, "Oh, here's a character who thinks one thing. Here's a character who thinks the other thing." It will. It will have individual characters like yeah. make both arguments within a scene. Like there's, Which, there's, a, there's yeah. a scene at a certain point. There is a scene where uh, with William Fickner because the cast in this movie is like they they got they got they got, they got, they got a great yeah. cast. Yeah, they yeah. Got all, all your favorite character actors. Absolutely. But um, so yeah, there's, there's a scene with William Fickner where, where William Fickner like switches back and forth between like uh, he's a prosecutor. 
Mm. And there, there, there was a case where he, he, a yeah he works with Brendan Fraser, of course. Yeah. There, there, there was a case where a uh, where a white police officer has murdered a uh, has murdered a black police officer. The the state wants to, like bring him up on charges because this is not the first uh, black person who's killed. Yeah, and he's that, killed three others. Yeah, Ugh. well, he's killed two others. This he's is killed. His third. Two, this is his third. And, and so like the the the, the scene starts with, with William Fickner like determined to to bring this like this racist murdering cop to justice. Which good. Yes. A minute later, he is like he he's talking about oh fucking black people and and like he's doing some racism yeah. and then he switches back to like oh but like I I I know why black people are so disadvantaged and goes for like yeah. all the structural things to keeping black people down and then like flips it back again to go do some more racism you, and like I've never read Ayn Rand but I presume this is what it's like people just who are entirely defined by their philosophical views and those philosophical views not even actually being that coherent. Yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much what it's like. Yeah. Um, it's also, I realised, do you want to know the one the one situation in which I would rewatch this film? Uh, what, what is that situation? If this script, word for word, was remade by Neil Breen, because a lot of, it, it has the wonderful Breenism of absolutely avoiding specifics yeah. because um, specifics don't listen to the cowards out there who say that they're the soul of narrative, that no. it's through specificity that we can find the universal, that by looking inwards, we look outwards. They're all cowards. Um, so the, the, the soul of narrative is me like listing the people who have wronged yeah. me, <laughs> the people uh, and institutions. And, but, and I will say, the LAPD is bad <laughs> yeah. for reasons. Well, and this police officer, bad for reasons. But they're never, like, we know it's in LA because there are a couple of mentions, but it's always like the lawyer, the business, yeah. the door people. And it's all, there has just been no sense of there being, in a, in a film with so many good actors, this cast could steal, every member of this cast exists to steal scenes in other films, you yeah. know? Um, and in a film which has so much capacity for texture and detail, building a world, this is just, like, the film starts, the opening shots are just unfocused, so just big blobs of bokeh, and, like, the f the camera comes into focus, but then the characters never fucking mm. do, because they're just big amorphous blobs who exist to accept what light you point at them. And it just... It it makes me, yeah, seeing this all for the first time, it feels like you're being jostled and shaken by it. And yet there is, okay, uh, li listeners will know I'm, 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 my blood is in the theater, uh, very literally. I'm sure there are bits of bats that are, you know, technically biohazards <laughs> areas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk, talk about a vampire bats, <laughs> am I right? Because yeah. it's filled with, filled, with, filled with human blood. <laughs> um, I mean, bats is an acronym. Yeah. Big auditorium theatrical shows. Um, the reason we know that Finn has never been to Bats is that he just used the word big to describe <laughs> it. Um, there are a lot, and like at the, at the basement, and uh, I come out through the fringe, and in that work, you see a lot of what I very dismissively and usually in private refer to as 101 shows. So you get a lot of shows that uh, uh, drama students or recent graduates make, which exist to say things like, sexism is bad, mm. which I absolutely do not disagree with. <laughs> um, but then they spend an hour telling you that. Yeah. Like the amount of body acceptance 101 shows I've been to where like a minute in they say you should love the body you're in. I'm like, yep. And then it's 59 minutes later and they're still being like, yeah, love the body you're in. I'm like, I know. 
crashes that, but much worse, um, and about saying racism is bad, which I think, in the 2005 at least, was pretty much the only thing any human could agree on. No one is coming into Crash and being like, oh, wait, no, racism is good. There must have been some Oscar who had their life genuinely changed by watching Crash. Well, there is a, a thought I kept having and I kept saying aloud, so I'm very worried about boring you again with it, is that there are also, there will be racists People who are very racist. Everyone is racist yes. to a degree. I'm not, I just, I know I'm the one good man, and I just want to be clear about this, uh, is that there are racists who will watch this film, identify with the Matt Dillon character, uh, and think that this film endorses their way yep. of life and their way of thinking, and that is morally unconscionable to mm. me. Um, and it made me very aware that, I said at the time that, any creative process that could create both the work of Hayao Miyazaki and Crash or like the idea of a wider cultural idea of, uh, of creative processes, the yeah. things that brought us Hamlet or Yo-Yo Ma playing music or like the plays of August Wilson or Anton Chekhov. Yeah, it, can, it's, it's all, it's not, not worth it. It's not worth it if it can also generate Crash. Like it genuinely, like the thing about the nugget guy... <laughs> Is that I always think like the problem within stand up comedy, especially open mic nights, is there is a real fear a real fear of talking to each other about the kind of things you say on stage. Mm. Uh, and, and that's why many comedians like me, because uh, I love telling people not to make rape jokes. Um, uh, <laughs> but like no one was brave enough to tell the nugget guy that those thoughts should stay in his head. And the fact that the world was cowardly enough to let crash happen, that like the very fact that we that crash by the Dave Matthews Band <laughs> is not the worst crash ever made. You, do you understand what yeah. it, like it is? Like, uh, like we no, need to I, rethink I, literally uh, everything about like, our I, pursuits. I, 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 I agree with like pretty much all of that. But I will say like. Just you know, like just ju- just fourteen years after 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 Crash swept the Oscars, yeah, the Oscars did manage to redeem themselves uh, by giving their highest award uh, to Green Book, and the film ends with another car crash and more people being racist to each other. Yep. Um, but one of them is now Loretta Devine, who is uh, a lovely actress who I want to see in more things, and she always brings like a warmth and heart while out with, without playing a type, except in this film where her character's name is. Mm-hmm. Shaniqua Johnson. Like, fuck you. Yeah, like, no. It's, it's like a whole thing where, like, she, she uh, works for the health insurance company that Matt Dillon's, uh, uh, like, chronically ill father is getting his insurance through. And there's a scene where he has to talk to her. He he is trying to, like, figure out how to, like, get some better health care for his sick dad. Every single thing about, about the scene is designed to actively validate every single racist impulse that Matt Dillon has about this woman. Yeah. There's a moment where, where like, he realizes he's talking to a black woman. Then he asks her what her name is, and, and she says, my name is Shaniqua Johnson. And you're just like, oh, God, the movie's going to do this. And then he's which like, is the fi- Shaniqua, huh? Could have guessed that. And that specific feeling, which is, oh, fuck, the movie is going to do this, and then it either does it or does something Being worse... worse is the feeling every two or three minutes. Yeah. Like drops of... Dr- Have you ever really fucked up? Like you've made a really massive mistake or and you've cost a lot of people a bunch of work or something. Right. 
I, I have, I presume you, like, just looking at you, I presume you've made mistakes. And, and, like, there's this period of, like, between making the mistake and trying to solve it, mm. where it feels like drips of dark oil full of dread falling through you. Yeah. Do you understand the feeling I'm discussing? Yeah. Every time you're like, oh, no, Crash is going to do this, is one of those drops. Yeah. Um, so, shite or sound. <laughs> this is not my least favorite movie I've ever seen. I think my, my least favorite like real movie I've ever seen is still Mile Twenty Two, yeah. directed by Peter Berg, starring Mark Wahlberg. We'll, we'll watch that. I presume. Or what a stinker! But like this, this is this is close. The only reason that I that I don't hate it as much as you do is because I'd seen it before and I knew exactly how stupid every scene was going to be. Yeah. And I, I, I could, I could like detach myself from it and like, yeah. and like take it as like a comedy. That is almost certainly the way to watch it. But unfortunately that's impossible because you'd have to watch it once. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, first time around. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm aware I've dominated a lot of this conversation, but I just want to say that I've not felt, I feel incandescent with anger at this film. Yeah. In a no, way. I, I, I can tell. In a way that I have not, I've not felt about a film, I think, ever. Really? Like, and it's very telling that Intolerance, which is on its face a more racist yeah. film, is like a curio. Whereas this, <laughs> the, it is not a debate that racism is bad. Yeah. There's not an equal exchange of ideas. It is flatly wrong to make people other. And th this film is like, what if there are grey areas in racism? Is like, how dare it? How dare? I just cannot. Yeah, I'm furious at it. <laughs> like, I'm furious at... Oh, I'm just trying to remember the last time I felt like this. When that guy heckled me real bad at Ding Dong. Um, I felt really mad at him. Mm. You know, I haven't felt this way about media yeah. in a very long time. And like, I'm a Doctor Who fan in the Chibnall era right now. You know, like I know. Oh God. <laughs> um, so like, I'm gonna say shite. Yeah. If I'm trying to think back, like the last movie that, that I can think of that, that like is as like deeply objectionable as as this one. It's a movie that I saw earlier this year. It's from like 1942. It's called Santa Fe Trail. It's directed by Michael Curtiz. And that, that is a movie that is, like, explicitly about, like, it, it is about these two things at the same time. It is about whitewashing the Confederacy. Of course. But it is also making the argument that America should not care about the Nazis and should not join World War II. This movie is as bad as whitewashing the Confederacy and doing Nazi apologia. Yeah, and it, the struggle for racial justice is long. And hopefully all we have to do is... Fight the good fight, which is against racist white people, let's be clear. And we have to create, like, I find this film, I now have to make this, the anger I feel for this film inspire me to do good in the world, or else it's nothing. Or else it is two hours of my time that I've lost to my own anger. Um, and so, uh, and I just, we have to get out there. If... In a world where Crash is only 15 years old and people are still shot on the streets, we have to go, we have to fight this and hopefully our children's children won't ever have to deal with a society that could produce Crash. There is a lot of really great writing by Tenahazi Coates. Yeah. 
in about Crash and in response to Crash, and also his writing in general. Uh, yeah, he, he's, an, he, he's a fantastic writer. Um, and yeah, if you had time to listen to this podcast, thank you. But go read his stuff as well. Like I am absolutely like Tenahazi coaching explaining to our audience they know about this shit but if you didn't know go check it out it's um peerless so shite or sound you didn't know shite. oh okay good uh, a big old pile of shite oh he's winking is he, uh, oh, oh no uh, underneath his russo brothers tattoo <laughs> is a big one that says crash brackets 2005 close brackets well yeah no i've i've, I've got a tattoo like like those people who like who used to be neo-nazis have we're like oh, yeah, it's yeah. like you, like, it's just yeah. it's just black, <laughs> but like you, you can tell, like oh, there, there used to be something there, but they do not want me to see. Uh, so next week we are watching we're watching another silent film from from 1929. Oh, I'll keep my eye out for that one. Yeah, <laughs> that is a funny thing to say because we are watching Unshin Andalou, directed by Luis Buñuel, co-written by Salvador Dali, but most importantly for our means, 14 minutes long. <laughs> Less than a tenth of intolerance. Yes, yeah, it is uh, uh, what one of the uh, what one of the like, great works of surrealist filmmaking, no. and it is. Uh, it also has uh, uh, maybe the single most upsetting image ever put to film. Oh, I don't know. Have you seen screen caps from Nothing But Trouble? <laughs> I, I I have. I have seen screencasts from Nightmare Trouble. It is like those have the swirmy, sweaty pain of a genuine, like, sleep paralysis nightmare. <laughs> uh, and what film are we watching? With Unchin Andalou, we'll be watching uh, a film from 1989 called Begotten, uh, which is uh, uh, which is another uh, uh, black and white, uh, silent, uh, surrealist film uh, with lots of upsetting imagery in it. Oh, great. Uh, I've never seen it before, but I am uh, looking forward to it. Can't wait for next Friday. Yeah. I'll tell you what, both, both of these films together less than an hour and a half long yeah these films together we have will be shorter than any of the films we've previously watched yeah it's very exciting i'm just excited that like what am i going to do with the rest of my friday yeah we we met this morning at like half past 10 yeah and now it is nighttime. <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> the, the sun has gone down the day is over the one problem of this not being a video podcast uh apart from the fact that like jesus christ no one make video podcasts <laughs> Um, is is the fact that we always start recording in bright? Uh, we're in my we're in uh, the living room. I share with several other people. Um, lights, windows all around, and we start in striking daylight. It's always warm and nice. Yeah. That's why I don't have shoes on. And by the time we finish, we are genuinely doing it by candlelight. <laughs> um, it's just because neither of us has got on to turn on the lights. Um, that's part of the experience. Yeah, no, yeah it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's, all, it's all part of the fun. I, I just want to say that I would not have watched Crash with anyone else. Like, I feel like I feel liberated by your presence and I want to thank you for it. And I'm for the audience as well. You are someone that I deeply enjoy watching terrible movies with. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, like, we should I, do a podcast. <laughs> I, 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 I can't remember which movie it was. There was some movie we, we, we saw at the Academy together. Yeah. We're like, every couple minutes, I would just look over at you <laughs> to, to see what your reaction was. And you were just even more horrified than the last time I looked over. I talk much less in actual cinemas is what I want to be so <laughs> clear. I, I am a phone checker, though. I'm very sorry about that. I make sure I'm in the back row. Um, so I'm not upsetting yeah, anyone. Because you're, 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 not, you're not human garbage. Oh, I am human Aww. garbage. It's just not because of that. <laughs> we, um, uh, so, Finland Nicholas. Yes. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Fickless, F-I-C-K-E-L-S. 
A-S. Uh, yeah. uh, where can we find you online? Um, I'm uh, Youtha Lives, wherever you want to find me, U-T-H-R-L-I-V-E-S. And if you wanted to speak to us as a, as a collective. Uh, you, you, you can find the show on Twitter, uh, at ShitesoundPod, and you can email us at ShitesoundPod at gmail.com. Great. And um, at some point this weekend, I'm hoping to secure ShitesoundSound.com. Uh, we'll see. Uh, check it now. Is it us? I don't know yet, but in the future you will. Our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. Uh, I especially enjoy the album, Trapezoids Away. It's good. Check it out. It's on Bandcamp. Yep. Um, is, is there anything else? I always... Oh, our final our catchphrase. Do you want... You go. Well, I got to admit, don't totally feel like saying it this week. I... Uh, yeah, no. no I, I think I, I've been more beaten down by, by, <laughs> by these two movies than, 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 than I usually am. At the risk of stepping on our neat and tidy ending, yeah. have you heard of This American Life, which <laughs> is entirely the interview, because they did... They broadcast... There's a storytelling theatre maker who had did a whole show about visiting the Foxconn factories in, oh, okay. in China. And they broadcast this as if it was factual journalism. Then someone fact-checked them and found out it was just full of lies, just a fiction, right. which is fine for storytelling theatre because there's an expectation of heightening. Yeah. But on journalism like This American Life and uh, its lies, and so there's an hour-long interview with the guy who essentially conned them. And it's great. It's really interesting and emotional. There's a point where Ira Glass says to him, but like, I, I put my name on the line for you, and his voice breaks. It's great. But at the end, he just says, and you know what? I just don't feel like ending this on a joke. And I can't help but agree. <laughs> no jokes. <laughs> Christian scientists, no surgery. Please. Yeah, j- just just like Jim Henson. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's what that's why he died. Oh, I thought he just died because of you know the puppets becoming animate and getting their revenge. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he well, like it could be two things. Okay, when Miss Piggy Karate chopped him and no, broke his <laughs> neck, <laughs> like he 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 got mauled by Sweetums. <laughs> and then, I mean, Sam, why? And then Sam the Eagle plucked his eyes out. <laughs> Oh, uh, that is absolutely the worst <laughs> thing that I've ever heard. Just as a, I cannot, I have to cut that from this podcast because a child might accidentally <laughs> hear it. <laughs>